God is good, isn't he? You know, he's not just good, but he's victorious. And guess what? So are you. You know, I love what oh, the Apostle Paul made it so clear. It says, because see, the, the resurrection of Jesus was really confirmed in the disciples through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8, it says that if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, your bodies are quickened. Amen. God begins to bring things alive. You know, God specializes in raising dead things. Maybe this morning you feel like you're just dead. And there are people today that are living and they're dead in their sin. And Jesus said that you can be made alive in Christ. Amen. How many of you know he can bring joy to those that are weary? Give strength and hope to the hopeless. That's what it's all about. It's bringing dead things alive. Be a dead marriage. Maybe you just feel like your future has no life in it. He wants to resurrect this morning. Amen. It's not just a historical fact, but it's a principle that is working today. Amen. And God is doing amazing things. And we, we want you to we want you to experience that. It's not just us, but the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of our heart today. And he's saying that if you will simply just open your heart, it's not about trying harder. It's not about turning over a new leaf. But it's simply just saying, Lord, I surrender. Everyone say, I surrender. You see, one of the biggest traps the devil does is he gets us into the trap of thinking we've got to do more, try harder. I need to start reading my Bible and praying. Aren't those things important? Yes, they are. But if, it's, if, you're, if the foundation of your faith is based on what you're doing or what you try to do, you've missed it. Surrendering simply means that, Lord, I come to you with my brokenness. I come to you, Lord, with things that I cannot change in my own strength. And he says, I can do it. That's why he says, come to me, all you that are laboring. You're laboring. You're trying. You're worn out. And he says, if you come to me and you can learn, he says, I will give you rest. How many of you know God wants to give us joy and rest? I love what Paul says also in Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Do you know God wants to blow your mind? He wants to open your heart and open your eyes with the future and with hope this morning. He doesn't want you to die and just exist. He wants you to move into greater levels of expectancy. Amen? I love it. Isaiah says it's from glory to glory. The path of the just shines more and more. If, if you're walking in darkness today, God has something better for you. And you know, all it, all it means is say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender to you. My brokenness, my darkness, my lie, the lie I believed in, I surrender that to you. And you know, right there in an instant, he will come in and he will begin to bring healing in your mind, bring healing to your eyes, bring healing to your vision. All of a sudden you have hope. How many here need hope? Anybody need hope? And you know, if you're hopeless today, don't be condemned about that. Jesus 
is drawn to your weakness. He didn't come to the righteous. He didn't come to those who are self-sufficient. He comes to those that are weak. He comes to the broken. And he says, I am your friend. He was a friend to the broken. Amen? We serve a great God, don't we? He loves his people. He's a good shepherd. He says, I give my life for my sheep. He is the only king in history. The only king that went to battle for his people. Most kings send their people on behalf of the king. But Jesus, as our king, takes our place and he fights a battle that we could never win. I want to say that again. Jesus fought a battle that you could never win. But he won it for you so that you would be the Bible. It says Ephesians 2. He raised you and he seated you together with him in heavenly places. I love what Revelations 1, 4 says too. Not only by the precious blood of Jesus does he wash and cleanse us, but he raises us. Now this is, this is a big tr- uh, a paradigm shift for us. But it says he raised us to be kings and priests. Are you reigning like a king today? Are you ruling like a king? If you are subject to bondage, you're entrapped by fear, then you're not reigning like a king. Jesus was raised from the dead so you could live like kings. Not selfish, not self-centered. But to live like a king means that you live as a servant, as Jesus. He was a servant king. Amen? Amen. Before we move on, uh, David, did, David, is my son here? Did you have a video you were going to show? Oh, that was the video. Okay. <laughs> okay, we, we didn't communicate. Huh? Not yet. We're, we're getting there. Uh, I'd like Harold to come up. Harold is going to be go. We're going to be praying for Harold. He's, I want our young people and everyone to know. John, could you come and David as well? Uh, we're going to be praying over Harold. He's going back to Cambodia. And uh, Harold, why don't you just share a little bit what you're doing on this trip? Um, this trip is a continuation of the trip in February. Um, I started last fall raising money for water wells in Cambodia. And uh, we weren't able to get them all done in February or have them done before we got there. And so I just felt like I needed to go ahead and get a few more and and go back in April. So um, I have a total of uh, 49 wells that um, we're able to get money for. Um, And then AquaShare also has quite a few on their own too. So this would be a really, really good trip. And, um, you know, it's not an official mission trip. I'm not being sent by the church. This is something I'm doing on my own through a a nonprofit. But, you know, I'm thinking about that, and God was just putting it on my heart this morning. What is a mission trip? Tomorrow, all of you are going on a mission trip somewhere. It may be to your job. It may be to school. It may be wherever you end up tomorrow. Because really, every day is a mission trip. You know, we kind of think, well, you have to go to a different state or a different country to be on a mission trip. But really, every day is a mission trip. And I appreciate your your prayers, your support, those that were able to help um, sponsor well. And just as family, I appreciate your support very much. And um, 
going to be gone. They're going to be on the ground to Cambodia for a week. Most of that time we'll be up in Siem Reap where the wells are being drilled. Um, I think we have 57 wells total on this trip um, that have been drilled. So it's going to be a great trip and appreciate the support of my family here. And um, uh, just really looking forward to it. I really, really appreciate your prayers. Stretch out your hands towards us. Lord, this is your servant, Harold. Wow, he's got a, such a good heart, Lord. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would even send forth your angels before him as uh, you would prepare the way there to give him a safe trip. And Lord, not only will the wells be uh, completed, but Lord, that the, the real river of life, Jesus Christ, would come into the hearts and the lives of every one of those villagers that received the water from the ground. Let them receive the water of life from Jesus Christ, eternal life. So, Father, we thank you for this mission, Lord, that you're going to accomplish so much more than just wells. And, Father, I just pray for protection on Harold's family as he's gone and on Harold. And uh, Aquashare, Lord, that ministry, uh, Father, they, they spend a lot of time and effort. Uh, in putting in those wells. I pray that you bless that ministry and that you would bless the people, Lord, there in Cambodia who are going to receive not only the well of life, Lord, from the ground, but the well of the living life from Jesus Christ. So we thank you for your blessings and your goodness and kindness and mercy and grace. And go with Harold on this trip, Lord, and be with him every second. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. God bless. God bless. Now we'll dismiss our kids. Can you just take your Bibles just for a few minutes to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? 2 Corinthians 5. Turning off. Test, 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 test. One, two, three. How many of you just enjoying your Easter so far? Praise God. I want to tell you something. I think the message of Easter it really is the, the, the hinge on everything we build on. And without the resurrection, everything that we believe in, in fact, the entire Bible would be uh, worthless. Our faith would be uh, no good. And the Apostle Paul makes it very clear. But I want to just read a passage here in uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians where he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, All things are of God who has reconciled us to him self through Jesus Christ. That means to be restored. He's restored us. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That means that God has given all of us the ministry to bring life and restoration. 
That means we're not living in a place of hopelessness or living in a place of bondage or fear. The ministry of reconciliation comes from resurrection. In other words, God, when God raises you from the dead, one of the first things that he does is he changes the way you think. How many of you know when you got saved, God began to deal with your thinking? Then he began to deal with your decisions. In fact, one of the most important things and signs of resurrection is that we're concerned about the will of the Father. Jesus says, I cannot do anything of myself but what I see my Father do. And uh, when we begin to experience the power of resurrection, we can't always prove with evidence certain things. But one thing we can know is that something changed inside. Everyone say inside. See, the purpose of the gospel is not to change your outside, but to change your inside because what's on the inside affects the outside. Let me say that again. Whatever's on the inside comes outside. Matthew chapter 24 or 23, I'm sorry. When Jesus one day was dealing with the Pharisees, he said, you guys make clean the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You're white as sepulchers. In other words, what he was saying is this. You have a form. You have an outward form of religion. You go through the form, but there's nothing inside. How many of you believe God wants to bring perfect peace on the inside? When Jesus said in the world, you're going to have problems and trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer. Why? Because something is in the inside. And whatever's on the inside begins to make you fearless. It begins to make, bring the champion out of you. Everyone say, I am a champion. You're more than an overcomer because Christ dwells in us. He quickens our mortal bodies. Our mortal bodies are my mind, my decisions. It begins to affect my relationships. Do you know that you are a walking light bulb when you go into a dark place? Remember one time I had a person come down to the altar and they, they actually asked this prayer request. They said, Pastor Ray, I'm working in such a dark environment. It's just the culture and the profanity and the, and the sadness and, the, and the, the filth that I'm working in. I just pray that God gives me a Christian job with Christian people. I said, I can't do that. And they looked at me like, why? I said, you know what? You are in a dark place because you're shining so bright. Now, we're not to let our light come as a form of condemnation. We don't come and beat people over the with the Bible, we don't take the word of God and tell them all their faults and that they're going to hell if they don't repent. How many of you know that actually sends people away from you? But people are drawn to hope. They're drawn because of the love of God. They're drawn because they experience something inside of you that draws them to Christ. Jesus said, if I him lifted up. Everyone say lifted up. That's what resurrection is. 
Resurrection isn't just a historical fact of what Jesus did for me. And he forgave my sin. Praise God. Thank you. And someday, someday I'm going to be resurrected. That, that's great. And we, we long and hope for that. But the resurrection is for now. Jesus said, I am right now the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You know, one of the most profound stories in the Bible is found in John 11. In John chapter 11, this was prior to the uh, Palm Sunday. One of the reasons why Jesus was so popular coming into Jerusalem, they put the palm branches out. He's riding in the cold. He was fulfilling the uh, Isaiah 53 uh, uh, story. And Isaiah 53 is the, the, the messianic king, the son of David, Hosanna, and all of Jerusalem. And it made the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin so angry. But do you know why he was at that time when at, at, at a real peak of his popularity? It's because prior to that, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. Do you know what's amazing? When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, who was buried for four days, it wasn't just that he would raise him from the dead, but Jesus created, he, he did a creative miracle. His actual physical body was completely restored. God began, through, through the word of the Lord, Jesus, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. How many of you know God's saying that same word to some of us today? God wants us to come out of the grave. Some of us have been in a grave with a stone over our heart. You know what that stone represents? That stone represents a sense of finality. It represents hardness. It represents hurt. There's a stone. It can be over our lives. It's not just a story in John 11 about Jesus raising, but it's a stone of disappointment. It's a stone that has been there because maybe things didn't work out. In fact, it's about Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, who were amazing followers of Jesus. Mary and Martha were tremendous, insightful women. They followed Jesus and they believed his word. And Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Knock and it will be open." They did that. They sent a message to Jesus in Be from Bethany. He said, come quick, Lazarus. The one who you love, Jesus, is sick. They knew Jesus could heal him. They knew that. They believed that. But the Bible tells us something that Jesus did that kind of shook Mary and Martha. How many here have ever been shaken in your faith? Sometimes the Lord, even in his grace, will let something bad happen to good people. It wasn't because of sin. It wasn't because they did anything wrong. It wasn't even because of unbelief. Jesus allowed Lazarus to die. And they let them, and, and if you go into the story and into the culture of the time, when Jesus finally arrived in Bethany where Lazarus had all not only been dead, but dead for four days and buried with a stone over the grave, in the culture they had what they called was professional mourners. There were women in that day that would come and the whole purpose of a professional mourner was to make a lot of noise. And they would weep. They would weep out loud. And you know 
what it did? Everybody would come and they'd start crying too. And they would all get around. You come and come and join the weeping party. And guess what? Then Jesus comes. How many of you know Jesus likes to ruin a mourning party? Now these, these women who would come, they were paid. If you study the culture, they would come and they were paid to mourn because the people were going through a loss. They'd suffered loss. There was pain. There was disappointment. And the grave was there and the stone was over the grave. What Jesus is trying to do here was to open the eyes of all the people and let them know that in your darkest and the worst moment, when you feel something is beyond hope, I'm coming and I'm going to break that stone open and there's going to be life coming out of that. And when Jesus made certain statements and Martha heard what Jesus said, he says, let's go to where Lazarus is. And he says, I want you to remove the stone. Everyone say, remove the stone. See, resurrection doesn't happen until we move some stones. But you know what Martha's response was? Lord, by now, he stinks. Read it. It's in John 11. He stinks. He's stinking. He's, he's, the body's decaying. It's already over. It's over, Jesus. You didn't come in time. He's dealing with a lot of people in anger and in pain. Do you know we have that same problem today in our culture? Jesus says, I know. I know he's dead. I know he's gone. And I know his body is decaying. But I want you to move the stone. I want you to remove the thing that is keeping me from speaking into your life. And they moved the stone. And I'm sure when they moved the stone, the stench of death was there. But I love what Jesus says. He says, Lazarus, come forth. How many of you believe we need to start speaking to our Lazarus? We need to start speaking to things that are dead. You may say, well, Pastor, what, 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 is, what, is that, what does that do? The Bible says that the spirit of faith in 2 Corinthians 2, it says, if we have the same spirit of faith, faith speaks. It speaks. Do you know sometimes we need to speak to our bodies? Do you know this morning I got up and I was telling John I kind of had a urinary issue this morning. And you know what? I had a lot of pain in my urinary area. And you know what? I started speaking to it. And now I have no pain. I'm not kidding. I, I didn't know. I... I know John or David would not like this, but I would say, guys, you're on today. I'm going to be in the toilet. Uh, that, that's a fact. But you know what? I began to just do this. In Jesus' name, body, line up. I need some resurrection life here in Jesus' name. You may say, well, Pastor Ray, that's kind of crude. Why would you say that? Because it happened. I'm not going to be that crude, but I want to tell you something. You have to use faith. 
have faith in God and do not doubt. And if you will speak to the mountain, Jesus spoke to Lazarus and it came out. What I'm saying this morning is sometimes we have to speak. We have to speak to our heart. We have to speak into the situation. Amen? Resurrection life isn't just a historical fact. Jesus wants you to know that every day, every day, we're walking in resurrection power. There's healing in your hands. There's healing in your life. Amen? And you know, sometimes it might just mean this, even in a marriage, where a spouse just begins to say, I love you. I don't feel like it, but I love you. You may say, well, Pastor, that's, that seems like you're just faking it then. Sometimes faith is not going by how you feel. You're standing on the promise of the incorruptible, indestructible word of God. God's teaching us not to live by what we feel, but by what he says. That's resurrection life. That's how you bring the dead back to life. I'm speaking to the dead. Amen? Now, I want to to share something with you. There's a law professor who put Jesus on trial. His name was Dr. Simon Greenleaf. How many ever heard of the term, I'm turning over a new leaf? Well, this came from this guy because there was an amazing transformation. This particular man, Dr. Simon Greenleaf of 1783 to 1853, decided to put Jesus' resurrection on trial by examining the evidence. Greenleaf helped to put the Harvard Law School on the map. He wrote the three-volume legal masterpiece, A Trustee's on the Law of Evidence, which has been called the greatest single authority in the entire literature of, of legal procedure. The U.S. judicial system today still relies on the rules of evidence established by Dr. Greenleaf. As a legal scholar, Greenleaf wondered if Jesus' resurrection would meet his stringent test for evidence. He wondered whether or not the evidence for it would even hold up in a court of law. Focusing his brilliant legal mind on the facts of history, Greenleaf began applying his rules of evidence to the case of Jesus' resurrection. Contrary to what skeptics might have expected, the more Greenleaf investigated the record of history, the more evidence he discovered supporting the claim that Jesus had indeed rose from the dead and came out of the tomb. So what was the evidence? Greenleaf observed several dramatic changes that took place shortly after Jesus died, the most baffling being the behavior of the disciples. It wasn't just one or two disciples who insisted Jesus had rose. It was all of them. Applying his own rules of evidence to the facts, Greenleaf arrived at his verdict. After evaluating all the evidence, Greenleaf accepted Jesus' resurrection as the best explanation for the events that took place immediately after his crucifixion. To this brilliant legal scholar, it would have been impossible for the disciples to persist with their conviction that Jesus had, had risen if they had, hadn't actually seen the risen Christ. To this legal expert, the case for Jesus' resurrection was so compelling that he had no doubt that it would hold up in a court of law. In his book, The Testimony of the Evangelist, Greenleaf documents the evidence supporting his conclusion and the challenges those who seek the truth about the resurrection 
to fairly examine the evidence. Greenleaf believed that any unbiased person who honestly examines the evidence as in a court of law would conclude what he did, that Jesus Christ has truly risen from the dead. Not only that, he was in another article about Dr. Greenleaf. One of the things that supported his evidence was the fact that no one would die for some kind of a false truth. The fact that all of them were martyrs except for one, John. All of them became martyrs because of the fact of what they had seen. I want to take you to one last passage. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to leave you with this. Paul says, he says, Moreover, brethren, I do declare, verse 1, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which you will stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was risen. After that, he was seen by James, then by the other apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. I love what Paul says here. He says, for I am the least of all the apostles who are not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul was saying this, I am what I am, not because of trying, but I am because he rose from the dead. Do you know, I want you to, I want you to remember these three things. Jesus didn't just die for you. He died as you. He didn't just die for you. He died as you. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. Do you know that when he died, he took all your sins from your birth to your death and he nailed it to the cross. But he didn't just die. He was buried. Being buried means that your old man is out of sight. You're no longer to see yourself the way you used to be or where you've come from. Because if any man be in Christ, old things pass away. All things become new and you are a new creature, a new creation. You're not just a reformation of an old man. God has completely, through the blood, has completely washed, cleansed, and made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know that when he rose, you arose. You're seated with him in heavenly places. And the Bible says here we are to reign in life. Amen? Amen. Resurrection means that I have hope. I have a vision. And you know what? My life begins to spread a new environment. Everyone say environment. You carry an environment with you. But the devil wants you to think, no, you're just a has-been. You're a failure. 
You can't impact anybody. That's living in death. Jesus raised you from the dead and it's time to start believing the truth and stop believing the lie. Amen. I'm a new creature. I've been raised. In fact, every bad thing that happens to my life, God takes it, turns it around, and what the devil meant for evil, God raises me up, gives me the grace, dispenses the power of His Holy Spirit, and through my own suffering, through the things that I've walked through that might have been difficult, painful, God takes it and uses it for His power and for His glory, and He uses it by giving you a testimony. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Some of you say, I have no testimony. That's your testimony. Your testimony is that you didn't have a testimony. But God takes a person who has nothing and he makes them a something. You're not a nothing. You're a somebody. You're a something. You have a, you have a future. You're going somewhere. You have a purpose in life. Resurrection isn't just living in the past and living and swimming in the soup of my own self-pity. It's time to get out of that old soup bowl of self-pity and begin to rise and become the tree of righteousness that God called you to be. That's what resurrection is all about. Pastor Ray, it just sounds like a bunch of hype to me. It just sounds like a bunch of fancy talk. No, it's the Word of God. It's God's Word. Amen.